WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint, where power and politics collide and the tough questions get asked and answered. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. This week, the U.S. Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, one-on-one. We spoke to him recently about Charlotte's big long-term transit plan, miles of new light rail, streetcar, bike lanes, greenways. Secretary Pete says the plan is, quote, music to his ears. Coming up later in the show, we're going to get reaction from some Charlotte city leaders banking on billions from federal money from Secretary Buttigieg to pay for the plan. But first, we begin our conversation with the president's nearly $2 trillion American rescue plan, what it means for us here in North Carolina and our families. We're joined now by U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. Secretary, thank you. Let's uh, dive right in. Let's take a look at the numbers here in North Carolina when it comes to the American Rescue Plan. $5.6 billion goes directly to the state. $3.6 billion goes to towns, municipalities, that sort of thing. $3.69 million for uh, schools. And the White House estimates nearly 90% of North Carolinians are receiving that $1,400 check. Uh, I know the plan in general promises to cut poverty in half. That's big. I mean, that's that's a generational shift, a lot of numbers. But l let me ask you this question. Um, last year, we heard stories of stimulus loans going out to companies that didn't deserve it. So with something so large, what will you, what will the president, what will the federal government do to make sure that you are being good stewards of our taxpayer money? Well, we're talking about a lot of taxpayer dollars, and so we've got to make sure that it gets invested well and according to the president's intent. Uh, we're working to make sure that we do that with the dollars that are coming through the Department of Transportation, making sure we have the right controls, and at the same time, making sure that uh, these dollars get out promptly. You know, there's a bit of a tension. On one hand, we've got to make sure these resources are deployed quickly. On the other hand, not so quickly uh, that we don't know uh, where they're being spent, and uh, that's a balance that uh, I'm proud to say we're working very hard and I think so far being very effective at striking. What about a year from now? What is what is your barometer for sec success? You and I speak a year from right now in March of next year. Uh, what can I hold you to as a barometer for success? Well, I'd want us to be able to know that we are out of the woods economically. Uh, look, some of the effects of COVID will be with us for as long as we live, but the crisis, this sense of being on the edge of a cliff all the time in terms of our economy, in terms of families' well-being, this American Rescue Plan is designed to put an end to that. It's also going to lift more than 100,000 children out of poverty in North Carolina alone. These are the kinds of things, the kinds of historic things that we were able to do with this rescue plan so that we could get the country back on track and start thinking about the future. So hopefully by the time you and I are speaking a year from now, it's not how do we get out of this COVID emergency, rather it's a conversation about the long term. All right, speaking of long term, let's talk transportation. That, that, that is now uh, your, your wheelhouse. Charlotte is kind of a victim of its own success growing faster than most other cities uh, in the U.S. We want to expand things like light rail, streetcar, commuter rail, greenways, bike lanes, you name it, we, we want it. But it's always, um, as long as I've been covering it, and for the decades before that, always been dependent on federal money because so much comes from that. We're talking billions and billions of dollars. I speak on behalf of the city of Charlotte and our leaders. What do you need from us so we can get that money? 
<laughs> well, first of all, uh, you know, Charlotte is recognized for a lot of innovative thinking when it comes to serving residents well. As you say, growth is a good thing to have, but it creates a lot of challenges. What we want to do as a federal agency is partner with communities like Charlotte, uh, regions like your part of the state, and make sure that we are, let's say, user-friendly uh, as you're trying to approach us for technical assistance or for dollars. We've tried to write that into the criteria as uh, grant programs are going out. For example, we have an infrastructure grant program called Infra, uh, where we talked about the things we expect from economic vitality to paying attention to things like equity and climate, uh, because those uh, really are involved in the consequences of infrastructure decisions. Uh, but it's music to my ears when I hear you talking about a multimodal approach. In other words, uh, talking about, yes, roads, but uh, also thinking about uh, things like bicycle transportation, uh, light rail, or other forms of public transit. Uh, we need to make sure that residents have as many options as possible, good ways to get to work or where they need to be. Uh, and that's what really unlocks the economic potential of transportation. The, the people, the, the leaders here in Charlotte will be uh, tickled to hear you say something like that because they've been talking about the same stuff over the last couple of decades. Uh, you just mentioned it, but you talk about infrastructure projects, something uh, that often has some bipartisan appeal when you're talking about roads, bridges, water, that sort of thing. But I know the president also includes, and you mentioned it briefly, things like climate change, clean energy, mm -hmm. racial justice. Uh, that might be a, a tough sell for some Republicans. Why are things like that also a big part of transportation plans? Well, uh, because we've learned that our transportation choices have consequences. Uh, you know, uh, my predecessor, uh, who is, of course, uh, from Charlotte, Anthony Fox, was eloquent and effective in raising the profile of equity considerations uh, here at the department. Highways that went through majority black neighborhoods, transit decisions that left entire communities out. Shame on us if we don't do a better job with a new generational level of investment than uh, we did in past eras as a country. And as for climate, look, we're all going to be suffering the consequences if we don't act on climate. But the great news is a good jobs bill, a good infrastructure bill can have enormous climate benefit too. To me, that's a win-win that uh, people across the aisle should be able to support. Switching topics briefly here. Uh, a new NBC News poll shows that just about every demographic, Democrat, Republican, urban, rural, Protestant, Catholic, supports protecting gay, lesbian, trans community from um, any sort of discrimination. Yet we are seeing state lawmakers across the country, including right here in North Carolina, target trans kids when it comes to sports. Uh, are you optimistic about these issues, uh, especially when it comes to, say, the Equality Act, which I think is right now in the Senate? I believe that compassion, decency, and equality are going to win out. You know, it's hard to think of a more vulnerable kind of American than a trans kid uh, who just wants to uh, play soccer or, or be able to go to the bathroom like everybody else. Really basic things that any human being uh, wants as they go through life. Now, every time there's been a move toward equality, uh, some people have said, oh, you can't do it because everything will fall apart. And every time they predict that, it turns out to be false. Uh, false. The, the state of North Carolina, like the state of Indiana, my home state, uh, have uh, sometimes in the past made headlines in the wrong way around these issues. But I see enormous progress today. And uh, I do hope that here in Washington, people do the right thing. Because as you said, most Americans, no matter your religious background or party affiliation, most Americans get that it's wrong to mistreat somebody because of who they are or because of who they love. All right. U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. Secretary, thank you as always. Come back. Thank you. Take care. Two city council members listen to that interview. We'll have their reaction coming up on the other side of this break. 
Where's the money? WCNC Charlotte answers that question every day. We're here to make a difference. Email money to WCNC Charlotte and ask, where's the money? Welcome back to Flashpoint. Joining us to talk about the city's transit plan and more, Charlotte City Councilman Tark Bakari and Larkin Eggleston. Gentlemen, thank you as always. We appreciate it. Um, so you have a secretary of transportation who says Charlotte's a, a model for the rest of the country, says uh, our, our transit plans, uh, music to his ears. Granted, these are words in, in D.C. Words don't might might not carry quite as much as they do in other parts of the world. But but it does show an overall support and appreciation for for, for uh, what you guys have been trying to do and even the people behind you uh, for you in city council. Does that give you some optimism? Larkin, I'll begin with you. Yeah, and I think having a former municipal leader in that role, as we did previously with with former mayor, then Secretary Anthony Fox, I think they understand the need for, for a robust and comprehensive transportation network. And so having someone who's been a former mayor, I think he gets it. And I think he knows what, what cities and, and municipalities around the country need. And so I think he's the right guy for the job. And, and it's a particularly appropriate role for someone who's been a mayor. All right, Tark, bring us up to speed. Um, for folks who aren't following this, y'all have uh, about a dozen plans, future plans that you're dealing with. Um, where do things stand right now with the mobility plan? Um, I, I know it, like other plans, are, is sort of on hold. Yeah, well, I mean, there's so many dimensions and dynamics to this. There's ultimately the funding questions that span everything from the, the federal level, of which we're learning more about um, where that's going to go, which obviously that was a critical piece to understand what the money was going to look like and what the the, the guardrails for the art of the possible ultimately would be there. Um, the state level dynamic very much in limbo and in flux um, between the towns uh, and, and everything that has to be in agreement there, as well as the regular voters desire that would happen in a referendum. I think when you look at all of those factors and, and really a, a lack of consensus paired with the census itself and the potential delay for the election, um, I, I, I think the, the only thing we know right now is Charlotte needs some transformational investment in how we move people 20 and 30 years from now. But how we do that and how we build the coalition to justify it is still very much an open question. Uh, Larkin, Tark just made the point, I mean, and I remember, uh, he made the point about lack of consensus, that it's, you've got to get other towns on board, you've got to get everybody else on board, you've got to do the one-cent sale tax. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts here and there's not a lot of consensus. I remember as a city council reporter back 10, 12 years ago uh, with Anthony Fox, I, I remember them talking about the streetcar and trying to get federal grants for the streetcar at the time. And, and when you didn't have everybody on the, on the same page that, you know, the federal government sometimes didn't want to work with you because they want to work with entities that are ready to move forward. And, and is, is that a concern uh, that, that putting our best face forward, we all need to get on the same page? Yeah, you know, we've got a federal administration now. There's not a bigger proponent for rail than President Biden. I think everybody knows that. And so we're in a position to capitalize on that enthusiasm, I think. And we have done a lot of the groundwork to make sure that we are ready. Uh, the streetcar that you mentioned, the second phase of that will open to passenger service in the next couple of months. And so I think we are having those conversations now. Tarek mentioned uh, potential delay in the election. It's essentially an inevitable delay in the election, yet we just don't know the timeline. But I think that as much of a frustration as that might be in some regards, it's good because it gives us more time to work through some of those things, like creating more certainty for residents of North Mecklenburg and, and Iredale County around a potential red line, uh, making sure that we are in lockstep with our neighbors 
uh, both in the county and outside that we want to move forward of the regional transportation network and we are ready if those federal dollars are there for us to, to capitalize on them. Uh, I want to bear down just on that one point real quickly. Uh, I saw it on Twitter. Uh, I'm trying to think of where I saw it. I saw it on Twitter this past week that evidently that Norfolk Southern line only is used like once a week uh, for, for, and they're not letting us use it. How does almost, that, almost not how does that happen? It's, what's needed, and it's a lot longer than we can get into in a, in a segment right now, but uh, would be happy to come back and talk about it. What What's necessary is they're looking for a long-term lease on another corridor, and they're keeping this corridor as, frankly, as, as leverage, but also so that they've got options. And so we need to work with North Carolina Railroad leadership to make sure they can have the assurances they need on this other corridor. That could potentially free up what the future red line could be. Um, so those conversations are ongoing. Tark, you were going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say the same thing, which is, even though they don't use it as much as might seem plausible right now, it is very much a logical thing for that company to be holding on to that because these are major economic impact corridors for them. And if one goes down of which they don't have a whole lot of control, like they did the hundred years before it, uh, in, in that primary line, this is that, that, uh, that kind of, you know, contingency plan. And for all major businesses like this, if you don't have a contingency plan and you don't have control, you're in big trouble. Sure. Uh, Tark, you've mentioned outside the box thinking. I mean, you've talked about even uh, the idea of tunnels under Uptown. Uh, tell us more about that. Yeah, well, the good news is I've already started digging, Ben. I've been on Providence Road for the last three weeks just with a shovel. Um, but in reality, which that's April Fool's joke, um, in reality, I've just been on a mission to figure out how we can disruptively innovate around town. And although I've been preaching it for several years, I think just saying it isn't enough. Like it's not, it's not permeating in the way that when we're building these 20 and 30 year out plans and we're still talking only about rail as like the future of how we'll move people and not just economic development or the 2040 plan where we're talking about, you know, we need a grocery store or a blockbuster or a, a Barnes and Noble on every corner. So it's walking distance. It doesn't anticipate where the future is going to go. So as I've reached out to and kind of made my case for the boring company and had some meetings and trying to kind of get Elon Musk's attention to hey, we need to innovate here. It's it's less about is boring tunnels and traveling underground at 150 miles an hour the actual solution? And it's actually more about, are we thinking outside of the box? Have, are we thinking beyond the several tools that we've been talking about for the last 30 years when they're on this verge of 5G and autonomous vehicles and flying? We, we don't know where people will actually be moved in mass numbers in 20 and 30 years from now, but we better start actually trying to think about it. Otherwise, we're going to make huge, huge bets on, you know, Barnes and Noble, Noble and Blockbuster type approaches. All right. Two last questions, one for each of you. Um, Tark mentioned it, but Larkin, where do things stand with the 2040 con comprehensive plan? The transit plan is sort of part of it as well, but we, all, we know it's sort of got caught up in controversy about single family uh, zoning and that sort of thing put on hold. The vote was supposed to be this month. Now it's been pushed back. Yeah, the transit's a big piece of it because obviously if we build out this transformational mobility network, it is going to shape and steer the direction and the way in which our city grows going forward. Um, so that is a big part of it. And, and with some of that, we have to say, how will our city look if we do move forward with that mobility plan and how will it look if we don't? Um, the 2040 plan has been, it will not be an end of April vote. It will be an end of June vote now at the earliest, which I think allows the council and the community some time when the next draft comes out, which we're expecting in the next couple of weeks. Um, to really dig into that, see the changes that have been made from the first draft, 
um, and and have it again have this conversation about how we can refine the details of that to make sure that we are laser focused on achieving the goals that it seeks to achieve and it doesn't and it mitigates some of the potential negative impacts it could have. Uh, Tark, finally, uh, news this week: Robinhood uh, is expanding here to uh, Charlotte. You are, of course, big in the fintech world. Um, I assume we're hoping to see more of this. Yeah, Robinhood is just the um, just the kind of next step in the evolution of Charlotte, as potentially you know as tech was to Silicon Valley, perhaps fintech and just the the next level of innovation is to Charlotte. And um, we worked hard, many many people for the last ten months to make this a reality that we got to announce this last week with Robinhood bringing 389 jobs here, 30 million dollars in annual new salaries that are going to um, help in everything from our economic impact to upper mobility. And I just can't wait to see as Robin Hood kind of plants their flag here and they are one of arguably the best known fintech brands on the planet right now, um, what our next win and our win after that looks like because um, it just gets a little easier and a little easier each time to spearfish and, and explain why Charlotte uh, indeed has a lot. I was going to say not just as a fintech guy, but also as a city councilman. I mean, you're telling the folks of Charlotte, expect more of this? Uh, I would say this is this has already been happening a lot, and Robinhood probably marks the moment of like everyone like, oh, I've heard of that thing before this announcement, and I, I think it will just we'll look back on it, marking a moment in Charlotte's history of where we went from a banking powerhouse growth to maybe we heard about some fintech to all of a sudden it's banking and fintech in in combination, and and it's just ubiquitous here. All right, Larkin Tark, thank you both. Appreciate you coming on. More Flashpoint on the other side of this break, including more on the Robin Hood news. But when you guys stepped in, I think that's what made the entire difference. When Jamie fell months behind in rent, WCNC Charlotte helped her answer, where's the money? I feel like I might get a full night's sleep. Finally, last week, got all of my back pay for unemployment. We helped Emily receive thousands after waiting weeks for unemployment. That was pretty quick. 36 hours, Bill. Thank you so much, Nate. I really appreciate all of your help. You have been a tremendous help, Michelle. We're here to make a difference on WCNC Charlotte. Ask us, where's the money? Welcome back to Flashpoint. Well, for a year now, Uptown has looked more like a ghost town with more and more people getting vaccinated. More and more people are going out. And just this week, a big job announcement that will bring more people to Uptown. Investing app Robinhood expanding to Charlotte and bringing 400 jobs uptown. WCNC Charlotte's Hunter Signs has the details on what Uptown's comeback could look like and who's depending on it. Inside the Halal food cart. Sonny Rodriguez continues to cook. Yes, sir. Everyone loves our gyros. The only problem, Uptown still just isn't the same these days. It became a ghost town. People are out and cars drive through. Business dropped a little bit. But the workers who filled these towers, yeah. those who gave it its hustle and bustle, aren't fully back yet. We weren't as busy as we were before, but we're staying afloat. I am concerned, but I'm optimistic. Charlotte City Councilman Tark Bakari says Uptown's heartbeat will get its rhythm back. We're still a bit in survive, but we're also looking for thrive. With a major announcement promising some 400 new jobs inside an Uptown building, that Uptown comeback could be coming to life. Uh, I think our community as a whole just got a shot in the arm. 
Robinhood, a financial services firm, will invest nearly $12 million in an office space for hundreds of employees. Companies are really starting to analyze the path to get back to physical work. Bakari says the Queen City's comeback will likely be a mix of virtual and in-person work with a more normal uptown as soon as this fall. For small businesses that make this city what it is, every new worker counts. 400 new customers, come on down and try our food. In Uptown. Here you go, sir. Hunter Signs, WCNC Charlotte. We'll be back right after this on Flashpoint. Where's the money? WCNC Charlotte answers that question every day. We're here to make a difference. Email money to WCNC Charlotte and ask, where's the money? Before we leave you, an important note. We want to wish Senator Tom Tillis a fast and full recovery. He announced this week he has prostate cancer and will have surgery here in North Carolina this upcoming week. I remind everybody not to miss your routine screenings. If you canceled or postponed them during the pandemic, which a lot of folks did, make sure you call and reschedule them today. Important to note that Tillis had no symptoms. Routine screenings led to an early diagnosis. And I can say uh, as the son of a man who, who lost his battle with prostate cancer, uh, just in the last year. So important to get those screenings early. Come interact with me on both Twitter and Facebook. If there's something you'd like us to cover on Flashpoint, let me know. And we'll see you back here next week.